swear I actually never get jaded. I never do. Every time we have somebody on, I say this is going to be a really special episode. It's going to be really great. And I think it's because our episodes keep getting better. And you know, those old episodes are still good, but this is really great. This is not safe for wonks. Brandon is here. Kennedy's here. Rachel's here. Hello, y'all. How are you doing? Anything new? Am I missing anything important with y'all? Your lives? No. It, I, I, there's a pandemic going on, and I'm still inside. <laughs> so mad at this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I did the guillotine thing, but that's like the most interesting thing I've done recently. I feel like once once you build a guillotine and transport it to the uh, state capital, you don't have to do anything interesting for at least like a week. I have bought myself some clout with that one, yeah. Especially because there were so many people in that caravan. We're here. We're not alone. We have a special guest. Mary Hollywood is here. For those of y'all who have been with our show since the very, very beginning, uh, you know Mary is one of our favorite people. We all go back to Mary and Twitter. She was one of the powerhouse posters of Mary and Twitter. <laughs> really, you could barely get a thread out without her chiming in uh, and keeping things interesting. So it's good that we're all here. We're all united. We all survived a very headache-inducing primary. And we want to talk about the new projects you're doing. And we want to talk about just good, wholesome things. So how you doing, Mary? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How are you guys doing? We're making it. Rachel made a guillotine. Kennedy's under quarantine. I braved it. I went out today. I went to Kroger. I bought some stuff. I had to open a bank account for myself. And I had some technical issues with my last one. So I had to go out and find a new one. And they won't let you do that online. We had so many problems, but I made it. I'm on the other side. Things are great. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually um, under quarantine as well because my husband suffers from a lung condition. So for us, it's definitely a live or die <laughs> situation. I, I very much relate. My partner um, that a lot of people who listen to this show might know just a very kind of from the edges has terrible asthma. And it's it's extremely concerning to have a disease like this, which just attacks the lungs so heavily out there in the world for us. Exactly. Exactly. Same here. You've been going a little bit stir crazy. Like, how long has California been under that official stay in shelter in place order? And how have you been? Well, so this is the thing we're officially under quarantine by the city for a month and a half. It's going to be two months soon. But we actually entered quarantine a little bit before that because my husband was a driver for Lyft and Uber. Ooh, yeah. And when we first, when news like first started breaking out back in January, first I was like, oh, I'm going to ignore this crap because, you know, the news always makes everything out, you know, fear mongering, all that stuff. But then it's like people started raising some red flags and some concerns. So by February, my husband had already cut his hours down a lot just because we're like, you know, God forbid if he were to catch something like this. Uh, so we've been uh, like this for a, a little while now. And to mention, we live in a studio apartment. So it's my husband and I, and we have two kids, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So it's definitely been a challenge, but we are very like a unit, you know, all of us. My daughter, she's a six-year-old. She's a homebody. My son, the three-year-old, he's the one that's suffering the most. You know what I mean? Like he's a ball of energy. So it's very, very hard. But like I said, it's, you know, for us, it could be life or death. So we'll do whatever, you know, is necessary. I know you as a person have always tried to see the 
positive way forward in any situation. This situation seems like it's a unique challenge to think of a positive way forward through it. So what are you getting that you could see as a benefit or a blessing from all the things that you've been through in 2020? Oh, my God. Um, So many things, really. And it's like you always want to be sensitive for everybody that's really suffering, that have lost loved ones. But I feel like ever since last year, 2019, Trump in general, but this pandemic is just, you know, the lifting of the veil. It's just showing everyone all of our systemic failures that we have that we need to wake up to so that we can finally resolve them. And also what's truly important, you know, like who is really essential and not. So there's so much goodness that we can see in all of this. It's just a matter of being ready to truly live that solidarity that we talk about so much, right? We're not in this alone. We have to do things for each other. So that's what I hope that we can, you know, come out of this on the other side with reimagining everything of what's possible and go back to the simple life. Yeah, I think if there's any silver lining to any of this, it is that we are sort of being forced to figure out what actually matters. Exactly. Well, I would just wonder, how much has the pandemic inspired you to make that podcast? Because I know you've had it in the works for quite a while and pandemic season rolled out and you were like, all right, got to rub my hands together and really do this. This is totally normal. Yeah. So honestly, the thing was, it's like, do this or you're going to (laughs) starve because obviously being inspired throughout the primaries, you know, with Marianne Williamson working so hard for her campaign and seeing how that all went down. The main thing for me was I saw how misunderstood Marianne was and I wanted to do something to translate her work, like what she meant and translate politics for, hold on, guys, hold on one second. What happened, honey? Okay. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no problem. No, I relate to this on a spiritual level. Uh, we were having a meeting like two nights ago. Brandon was there and my kid was literally climbing on me like a jungle gym while I was on camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel your pain. (laughs) But um, so going back, um, I really wanted to somehow translate like all the political toxicity to a situation that everybody could relate to. And because of our job, you know, working uh, with Lyft and Uber, being out on the road 24-7 and seeing how chaotic and horrible and dangerous it is, I was like, and I'm going to talk about traffic and let's, you know, unravel this issue and see if people understand the parallels between all the corruption that we have out on the streets with the corruption that we have in politics. And obviously, I'm in a very difficult financial situation. We just got out of homelessness. So we're rebuilding our life. So we have all these struggles already in place. So that's why I was never able to do it. Because I was like, oh, no, I have to do this. You put all these conditions. Like, I have to have the right equipment. And I have to, you know, be able to find the right time and the kids. But once the pandemic hit, now we're out of a job, out of income. I haven't received any assistance because of all the failures that we have, all the holes that are in the system. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this however it is that I have. Which is why it's not even like, it's still a little bit... 
confusing what it is, but it's at least it started. And I think I'm, you know, like you said, the more you do it, the better it gets. So that's where I am right now, fighting to survive. Neither of you have gotten your Trump bucks yet. What's happening? No, so uh, I did. I did get it actually, but this is the deal. Okay, with that, and I love that you asked that because now, so let's say we have no income. I haven't received. I wasn't able to file for unemployment or you know uh, financial assistance through our social programs here. Now they're talking about reopening the economy, so they're expecting rent in June. I have no income. And even if the economy reopens, you think that I'm going to go out there with this virus still out there in my husband's condition? I'm not. So basically, I'm like saving this money for food and surviving. You know what I mean? So that has done nothing to help me. It's just here because if I were to pay my rent with it, I'm lucky I have a moratorium for a little while. But come June, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? I just want to say, I've definitely been pointing out to people, you know, it took two months into this pandemic to get one check so far from the government to quote unquote, help us out. Like that's too long and it's not enough. People had bills a month ago. They couldn't pay. Exactly. So by the time we got the check, that's it. The money's over. It's gone. Right. And I'm sure that everybody already knows sort of what's going on in Georgia with us opening preposterously early. And it really comes down to like, two things that they've done to us to completely screw us over. Uh, We have a constitutional amendment that we must balance our budget as a state. And we also have a constitutional amendment that we cannot raise income taxes above 6%. So we're in this position now where they are just doling out incredible amounts of money to the incredible number of, you know, unemployed people right now. Uh, And by removing the shelter in place order, they've created this, you know, situation where people are forced to open their businesses or lose their businesses. And then people are either forced to work or give up on unemployment. And it's all about the money. And it's fucking heinous. Yeah. So it feels really good to wake up in the morning, know that your government is willing to kill you. Feels really great. Yeah. Well, You have a sane state government, at least by our standards. In California, you've got $1,500. How far does that go in Los Angeles? Not far at all. Not far at all. No, that's barely rent for anyone. However, there is like good that you can get out of it. As a show, we've all been impressed by how well you've done since you started your show. You already have like a good amount of community support and you've only done a handful of shows. Yes. And it's truly been incredible. You know, I have and I know as you know, whatever standard, I have 22 patrons. And so this month, literally, and that's why I say, like, we just have to get out there and do it, like whatever we feel like our passion is, because I haven't uh, because of all the bureaucracies, all the problems that, you know, people think it's easy to just apply for age. It's not. There's like a million hurdles that you have to go through because we don't have universal standards, right, to get it. So basically, the $200 that I made this month from my patron account is what's feeding my family. So how incredibly blessed I am, right, for this to happen. And literally, I owe it all to the Marianne fam. You know, they've been supporting me amazingly. I could never hope it's like a second family that I've, you know, met now in my life. We just watched your last episode and you had Victoria, you had Kim there, and it was kind of like a high school class reunion or something. 
seeing all of y'all together talking about the political developments. Exactly. That was the first. We're going to do this every week now. I'm going to meet with the girls and meet at the crossroads, right? And talk about these issues from a, a female perspective and trying to find common ground and, you know, that imagining a new way because the way that things are right now, you know, for them, it's a game. But for us, it's literally life and death. Like we're not playing. I'm not playing this game anymore. One of the things that I have noticed when I talk to candidates or I talk to candidates or anybody, people are frequently going, this should be above politics. It should not be a political issue. And it's always about real basic shit like sexual assault or people getting shot while jogging or, oh, yeah, it looks like the planet Earth is on fire. This should be above politics. Are you ever frustrated that things you feel like should not be political issues are political issues? I'm frustrated 24-7. I am exhausted. You know what I mean? Like everything, everything right now in this country, there's so many basic things that we could be uniting under. Pick one and let's do it. You know what I mean? Like get money out of politics. Is that so hard? I think that's something Republicans and Democrats can agree on, but we are so... And and that's something that I like to address a lot. And I feel like this was a little bit of, you know, the the Bernie Sanders crowd. I felt like you guys know so much in terms of um, politics and, you know, legislation. But the common people that are out there don't know anything. And they're so brainwashed, you know what I mean? Like by MSM and just American culture, everything that we were born and we learn from birth, it revolves around this system that we have. That's such an illusion. So that we address, how do we talk to these people? Like, do we have to know who our enemy is? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we need to educate more than anything else. Well, so we talked a little bit before we started recording. This is a particularly passionate topic for me. I have completely abandoned electoralism altogether. I don't think it's going to work. I think it's a dead end. We don't have enough time to make it work that way. So I say, who cares? Let them do their own thing. Um, But what I think we should be doing instead is actually leading with a mutual aid strategy. So right now we have this unique opportunity where the world is falling apart, the systems are falling apart, the state is failing, and people are, you know, very desperate and terrified and worried they're not going to have enough food and worried they're not going to have a place to live. And we have an opportunity to show real time how socialist policy can help them, how socialist organizations can help them, right? So if we get people fed, if we keep people housed, you know, if we can get sort of the bleeding to stop, and then we run, you know, after we have proven firsthand that we are going to materially benefit people's lives, then we run, then we could win. But right now, it's like, no one knows who we are. We do, you know, either are us or actively hate us, you know, and we need to prove, I think, to people generally that what we're saying is true. And we will never in our lives have a better opportunity than this to prove it. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because I saw a video from Represent Us and I always had this idea if enough of like you do a poll like Medicare for all, right? Uh, Now, 69% of Americans support Medicare for all. So you would think that, you know, because the majority of the country supports it, then we're going to get this passed. 
But in the video, they showed, like, after all their research, that it doesn't matter the amount of people that support something. What matters if it was done locally somewhere and they can prove it. So, like, in municipalities, like cities, right? And then we can say, look, we did this here. Look how it worked. Now let's do it. So it comes down to exactly what you're saying. Like, we need to stop trying to, you know, change the world from the top down and start doing whatever we can ourselves locally in our cities, in our communities, so that we can prove like, man, this works. Look, look how much we're benefiting now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that will ring so much louder more clearly than any of the rhetoric against it in either direction. You know, people aren't going to think we're radicals when we're the only people who were able to show up and feed them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mary, I'm curious if you think that like with the current state of things that there is a sort of cohesive progressive movement of some kind or if everything is just sort of totally in a state of chaos right now and if there you think that there is like a progressive movement where is it coalescing in in your view well i don't think that there is really i feel like it's totally scattered and i think that this is what i've been like the people that i've been talking to what I'm trying to get everybody on board is to find like a hub. You know what I mean? Like where, what's that one place that we can all like shelter under this house, this roof? Because right now I think that there's a lot of people trying, but everybody's trying alone or under, you know what I mean? So I don't like, I don't see like a cohesive progressive movement right now. And I feel like a lot of people are lost. A lot of people are dismayed. Everyone's still looking for a leader to represent them. And I'm very into like, you know, we're our own leaders (laughs) idea. Like, I think it's time for us to step up in whatever way. Like we think we still have this grandiose idea of like, we have to do something huge. And we forget like of the small little things that we can do that, you know, in the end uh, amount to so much. Yeah, people need so to know. I want to I want to ask you guys this question. Like, what do you guys see? What do you guys know? Tell me. <laughs> just imagine I'm like SpongeBob and my eyes got huge and started glittering, right? <laughs> because I've been saying this very loudly and on repeat basically since Super Tuesday. Yeah. You played tenant and labor organizing, direct action. Those four things are things every single one of us can be working on. You know, you can either be, if you are living in an apartment, organizing the people who live in your apartment complex or apartment building. If you are still working a job and your company is not giving you PPE or is not keeping you in safe enough conditions, you can be organizing. If, you know, you have a lot of free time or if you have a working internet connection or if you have immunity to COVID, which I have, you know, as much as we're sure people can have it, you know, then you can do things like package food and help deliver and distribute food. You know, there are things we can all be doing right now that will immediately materially improve our community's lives. And also you can just like erect a guillotine in front of capital like you (laughs) yes i have proven that you can do that (laughs) but my question is where where do we go to like is is there a website that we can go to and dsa or madsa.ga if you really want to find no one's going (laughs) one's living Uh, in no one's like uh really like there's there is not a central hub as much as there should be right now 
Uh, I think people are looking for a model. They're looking for somebody to step up and say, I have the plan. And I mean, I think that actually, unironically, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in DSA right now that's going to be very important to having a plan. You know, and I, I actually think in spite of some of the problems DSA has had in the past, there are some really incredible people working on some really high concept stuff right now that needs help. Yeah. You know, and I know yeah. that sounds like I'm just like blindly recruiting, right? And maybe to some extent, <laughs> yeah. But it's because, yeah. you know, I genuinely believe like this is the way we're going to fix it. And this is the infrastructure we have to enact that. And DSA is the largest infrastructure right now. Yeah. I think to build a political movement that is built around people who are traditionally marginalized, it just doesn't work out. People just drop out for a little while. And none of these issues that we talk about are going away. Everything is just sort of in suspension because that pandemic, you know, uh, and people want to stay inside. But none of the issues are going away. I don't know if the Green Party is going to be a long term place for those issues because the Green Party pops up once every four years. And I know there's Green Party folks that run for local office and stuff like that, but it ain't no Green Party presence in the average person's life outside of, you know, a presidential run or something like that. Yeah. No, you have to think that people don't even know they exist. And that's the truth. Like nobody right, knows right. anything besides Democrats and Republicans. That's the reality that we live in. Correct. Or they've heard of the Green Party, but it's like some Russiagate shit. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, and I think at the very least, uh, the reason I say DSA in particular has the biggest infrastructure is because most people have at least heard of Bernie Sanders. And yeah, that's a jumping off point. Like, okay, we're doing that thing, which I think it immediately gives people a lot of like policies that they have heard of, that they understand, hopefully kind of, that they may already have warm feelings to, you know? And so we have a huge advantage there in that we are associated with things that everybody likes, with policy everybody likes. Well, you say everybody likes it, but Bernie didn't win. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think that that actually relates to kind of my feelings about why, or maybe not why exactly, but what the sort of status of the progressive movement is, is that I think that there are kind of two ends of the spectrum in terms of a progressive movement right now, where there are some people that in general are living relatively comfortably and have for some time. And those people aren't able to connect the dots in terms of like what everybody else around them needs. And so they're sort of calling themselves progressives and they're doing some of the right things, but they haven't really formed a true ideological center around the problems that other people are facing. They're just still sort of focused on what they think is most important from their sort of perspective that's right you know to put it bluntly kind of in an ivory tower right and their biggest issue is like campaign finance reform their biggest issue is that a white dude got promoted ahead of them at their job just to be real yeah no, i mean th for some of these people like their biggest issue is something like climate change or something like that but they're first of all they're not looking at climate change from like the holistic perspective that one of us here might look at it um where you know to use the the now sort of famous example like bernie getting yelled at by the moderator for bringing up race while trying to answer a question about climate change it's like these things are related they, there is a yeah. relationship between all of these different things on the other end of the spectrum i think that there are people so these are the 
so on one end of the spectrum, it's like you kind of have the people who who don't have the motivation, so to speak. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people that are very motivated in the sense that they're living the the lives of struggle that motivate you to want uh, some of these things like universal health care, like working conditions that don't just absolutely suck, where you get paid, you know, a living wage and where your boss can't just ruin your life at any given moment that they feel like. You know, the people that are in that position, I think a lot of them feel like no no movement actually gives a shit about them or will hear them or that perhaps that there are no movements that have the solutions for them. And I think both of those are really complicated issues to tackle, both the complacency of the people who have and the complacency of the people who don't have because they don't think that anything is going to help. And you can't blame them because they're suffering so much. And I say this as a person who is myself quite poor and has been all my life. So I get it, you know, like it's very hard to engage with these systems sometimes. And I think a lot of people um, right now, especially are feeling so burned by the process. Um, I know a lot of people who registered Democrat just to vote for Bernie Sanders. And a lot of them never even like I myself never had the opportunity because my state's way late. And so like it's, you know, it's already over now. Um, I can still do it as a form of some kind of statement, but it seems like a pretty weak one at this point. So like, yeah, I just feel like a lot of people have been left, just feel left outside. And it's really hard to build a movement that makes those people actually feel safe, to put it yeah. very bluntly, because they just think they're going to be taken advantage of again. Mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying completely. And I think that one of the issues Okay, so if we look at the back, let's go back right to the primaries, uh, look at so many of us that worked in campaigns. And I feel like, you know, so many people, everybody talks about the poor and everybody wants to help the poor. But did any of them ever give the poor any power? Like, did they ever actually say, you know what, like, I see you're poor and I hear you here on social media doing this. Why don't you work for me doing this? Like nobody ever actually puts us in a position of actual power where my experience is taken into consideration and is actually going to be meaningful to help you in your campaign, for example, like just speaking generally. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see anybody doing that. The only way you can prove that you're qualified for political power is to graduate from Harvard which means you've got money, or you're a once-in-a-generation academic phenomenon, or you've got to hold political office and hold that for a while. That is about your social circle, having friends that have money, that you can call and ask for money, which means you probably have money too for them to kick it with you. So cash greases the whole thing. If you don't have money, you're unqualified and you're dumb. It's like the official marker of what makes your opinion worth recognizing. Exactly. And for me, this is like a huge, huge thing that I want us to speak more of so that we can empower each other. And I think like independent media is the way to go, like to build that, you know what I mean, momentum so that we can like when I say, you know, leaders create leaders so that we can become the leaders in actually doing things ourselves, whatever little that may be. Um, because I always, I come from a philosophy, you know, like instead of changing the world, focus on one person. Like if you can change 
one person's mind or open their world up to another perspective, like that's enough. You know what I mean? Because we never know who is who and what person may mean or symbolize who comes behind that person. So I feel like we really, really have to keep going, like whatever you guys are doing, what I'm trying to do in order to actually give people like us power and not rely on, you know what I mean? Like the political establishment, like the establishment is going to establish and that's all they're (laughs) going to do. They're never going to (laughs) change. Right. Yeah. I love that you put it in that context because I try I try to tell people all the time, you know, if you want to do something that that's exactly what you should be doing. You should just be talking to your friends, family, neighbors and associates, people in your city, people that you meet on the street about politics, because here's the thing. If every leftist in America was changing one mind per year, mm-hmm. then we still America would be like 80 percent left in like 20 years or less like it's still it, w- yep. it wouldn't take very long <laughs> maybe we're doing that but the people we know are all under the age of like 50 and so <laughs> we're all changing each other's minds like in our own generation but like there's a there's a totally different generation that voted in a totally different way that seems totally disconnected yeah. from like our discourse and what our conversations have been let me ask you guys because i'm in my mid-30s you guys are younger. Like, what happened with the youth turnout? Like, Marginal. why didn't they come out to vote? I mean, I think suppression. I think active suppression, honestly. Yeah. You know, when you look at the way voting locations were treated at, like, universities or in university towns, like, they were sort of chronically underserved and overcrowded. And, you know, people yeah. were not able to go. And then they kept holding elections, you know, while the fucking plague was coming down around our heads. None yeah, of them no, that was ridiculous. doing mail-in ballots. Like, then they finally just said, fuck it, we're just not doing any more elections. We're not even going to continue pretending. Like, the charade is over. State of New York literally just had a legal injunction, like ordering them to even allow for there to be a primary for all the presidential candidates to even be on the ballot. And that was like an Andrew Yang thing, weirdly enough. Yeah, I was. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I wanted to ask for like everything that Rachel was saying, you know, to go over to, you know, mutual aid and the DSA. Are you guys willing? Because I'm thinking like how to coalesce the progressive movement. And for example, me, I was a Marion Williamson fan. I originally didn't consider Bernie Sanders because I had that mentality. You know what I mean? Like crazy socialist, blah, blah, blah. But going, being in the trenches, you know, with seeing everything with how Marianne was treated. And I saw how Bernie was being treated. And then that opened my eyes. And I feel like, are you guys open would you be open to coalescing with other groups? Because I didn't feel like that happened. I felt like, like you said, Andrew Yang, now he just went, he sued New York along with, you know, members of the Bernie campaign. But we, we should be thankful for him. But at the same time, like, we hated on him a lot for what, you know, reasons that we have. But should we, uh, up until what point, like, can we put some things to the side and just say, let's come together to bring down this establishment and then we hash out the details? I think DSA is willing to come together with a lot of people, but they won't come together with your boss. And in general, we talk about who's running and what conflicts underpin our economy. And 
they're not to a great deal. There's a spiritual deficit. And we talk about spiritual deficit in our education. Who's coming from what neighborhood? Where do they go? But the core that undermines those things are the relationships between the people who are in the ownership and investment class and the people who are generally and unfortunately one of the things I think DSA has trouble with and the left in general is going to struggle with is that a lot of people who have been impacted, a lot of the working poor, are more interested in how can they become a boss? How can they ascend to the ownership class? How can I get enough money to start my own business and hire my own employees? And I know that's something Marianne talks about a lot, but we have to acknowledge that one of the things that makes this coalition building difficult is what business are you starting? Are you perpetuating the stuff that got us into these problems in the first place? You talk about entrepreneurship. Black women do more entrepreneurship as a demographic than anybody else. And 90% of them are in situations where they're the only fucking employee. They just understand what exploitation is like and being underrecognized is like. And they want to be in charge. But have you run, run a business that actually works like that? A lot of the things that involve running a business involves importing shit from China. It involves the third world. It involves underpaying a whole different group of people. And when you start a business, you're only paying yourself, right? So in socialist circles, there's a lot of fighting about, you know, are you contributing to exploitation by joining a group that's there from that military industrial complex, there from the pharmaceutical industry? It's hard to get everybody on board for a revolution that is not built on financial exploitation, which is not the same as a broader progressive movement, which financial exploitation is seen as a fact of life and it's not really their core priority. I think that's a conversation that happens a lot in DSA. And it's a conversation where a lot of yelling happens. And I'm not 100% sure that DSA wants to be that organization that's the big tent left of the Democrats progressive organization. I think they will be the broad organization for people who see the difference between the employee and the employer as a harmful relationship. But yeah, seeing them as a whole is going to be a little bit harder. Talk a little bit about where does the energy of that movement go? Where are we working and where are good places to work? The Democratic Party is not the only organ that fights for change. It's a lot of groups that's in your neighborhood that are aligned with you no matter where you are on the political spectrum, whether you are a reform capitalist or you're anywhere from there to communist or anarchist. There's an organization that's local that cares about the shit you care about and works in coalition with other organizations that care about those similar things. So when I talk about what the coalition looks like, it probably is not a single organization. It's probably everybody getting involved where they can and there being goodwill and solidarity between those organizations. It's not always about money. We're talking and it only takes an hour. Go ahead, Kennedy. Uh, I, I just want to say, like, I think this is a very interesting conversation because this underpins in many ways, like some of the goals of this show that maybe we haven't stated enough, but like there have been these moments where people have gotten upset because, oh, we had an Andrew Yang supporter on and they really don't like Andrew Yang. Or we had someone on who really doesn't like Andrew Yang and the Andrew Yang supporter is now upset. Or we, you know, we interviewed some Green Party candidates and some people who are, you know, really anti-Green Party. Oh, they got really upset with about that. And then we interviewed some Democratic candidates and the people who are really into the Green Party are like, wow, oh, you guys are sellouts. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and and the thing is, is I consider myself like a platform socialist or a platform progressive, which is to say, you're just making terms up and just nope, it's it's not a made up term. Um, <laughs> I want to amplify other voices. I I'm not as interested. I have a personal set of ideologies, and they change and blah blah. And if you put me on the spot and said, Kennedy, you're in charge now, um, I would have a plan. You know, but that's not really my goal. And and so I think it's really great that we're talking about like the idea of kind of breaking some of these walls down to build a larger progressive movement, because I think that, yeah, it's not going to be one organization, one leader, or one mm-hmm. ideology, especially at a time like this. Like we don't operate like that as people anymore. We're not cohesive in that way. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't coalesce around something and that we can't put some of these organizations and ideologies together and say, yeah, these are relatively compatible enough. If I get 80 to 90 percent of what I want, that's a lot better than 10 percent, which is probably a generous uh, amount of percentage to give the current system. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's great for us to all like just take a step back sometimes and say, okay, like, you know, I personally regularly on this show made it clear that I had a lot of beef with Andrew Yang's specific policies, ideas, and Mm -hmm. ways of expressing them. But I was always willing to bring some Yang people on the show, talk to them, hang out with Yang folks, because I know that they, at the end of the day, that most Yang folks wanted some kind of real progressive change in this country. We have to start making those kinds of alliances, even where it feels a little, a little awkward sometimes that you're like, Ooh, is that really how you feel about that? Mm-hmm. let go of the little stuff fight over the stuff that's important and then we can do the little stuff later that's how i feel yeah i i feel the same way i feel like i think andrew yang is a perfect example you know what i mean like i started off like wow this guy is different i was i'm so like anti-establishment so i liked all the candidates that weren't politicians first like marianne but right the as the primaries went on and I started getting into the details of Andrew, and I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like this guy's not exactly who he says he is. But um, regardless, I think of all the people that he woke up, like look at all the people that he he coalesced that were not involved or didn't care. You know what I mean? So I'm like, what maybe what's going to happen in the future of those people as they keep waking up? You know what I mean? Like. So I always try to see like the good of what everybody is doing so that we can make the change that we want. Because if we strive, like I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording, like the idealism and the utopia, that's what they, you know, argue a lot of, you know, the centrists they go against because they're like, what you're saying is impossible. Like, yeah, it's impossible right now, but it's not like the impossible, the possible. But at the same time, like we're at a crux, like so intense that if we don't get something done, like right now, look at the Democratic Party, dude, they're literally saying, I'll vote for a rapist. Like, that's insane. You're not exaggerating. So, so many people on Twitter are just like, I don't know. No, this is literal. They, they're writing this out, throwing this out into the universe. So to me, like they're like they're holding us hostage. Because of Donald Trump, and I, this is just something that I will not hostage. Give me something to vote for. This is my whole argument. You know what I mean? So I think that there are some concessions that we need to make for the people that get this. Like, we're not going to get everything that we want, but they're doing it. What What can we do then? You know what I mean? Just throwing some 
rough things in the universe the last few years, and it feels like the universe is throwing some shit back in our direction. Like, yeah, I've been telling people that I don't care who Biden picks. And so I don't want to be catered to at all. I feel like if it's Warren, we have to go back to square one and have this conversation. Oh, is this good enough? Oh, we might get something that we want. Listen, the vice presidency isn't worth a bucket of piss. It's not in charge of anything. It's not a policy position. It has no impact on, you know, who's in the picture and who shows up in the last five minutes on CNN. It's not a real policy concession. And you don't have the leverage to force that from them, like, obviously. So I want to focus on the things that are closer to me and things that I have leverage over. We haven't even gotten the chance to talk about traffic. We have all these plans to talk about traffic and damn, it's a mess. Yeah. I think I think we're talking about what's needed. <laughs> have me on again. I think that's a very easy request to fill. It's a very easy request. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. The time has already pretty much flown by. Um, Mary Hollywood, would you please uh, let the people out there know how do they how do they go listen to your show when they've run out of episodes of our show, and they need <laughs> they need something else with the good vibes and the hot takes. We're closing in on 100 episodes. So listen, if you're listening to this, you've got a big back archive to work through. But you can squeeze in like some Mary stuff as you work through that. It's fine. Yeah, just take it. Take a day off of, of our show and listen to Mary's show. Mary, where is that show? My episodes are tiny. They're just little, you know, little boosters for you. Listen to me, then listen to you guys to get things done. <laughs> uh, you're, you're at patreon.com slash at the crossroads, right? At the crossroads, yes. Um, and what's your Twitter account? It's Mary Hollywood Four. And that is uh, it. And by the way, if you're l- listening and you're like, "Oh, I don't have any money," like I would say, like ninety percent of the stuff that's on that Patreon is free. Oh yeah, no, I leave I leave it open for everyone to listen, but I do have it on so that I can survive <laughs> as a poor person. <laughs> you should also donate to the Patreon. You, if you do, you literally are helping me, like for real. So this has been a great episode. Not safe for walks. Kennedy, Rachel, Mary Hollywood. Listen, we've been a big fan of yours since we started the show. So it's good to like finally cross over with you and make this happen. And we will definitely have you on like as soon as possible because we love you. It's all good. Thank you guys so much. I enjoyed this so much and looking forward to future shows. Ah. All right. So thank you for listening. Uh, The whole team's here and we will talk to you again. After a while, bye-bye. We'll see ya. Bye. Bye.